This is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Sunday, the 27th of uh, February, 2022. We don't always do Sunday shows, but of course, this is a Special, troubling, dark Sunday, uh, certainly in European history, perhaps even in world history, as the world teeters, perhaps, on the brink of a terrible war of some sort. Um, headlines today are in enormously troubling. Um, the Ukrainian forces, apparently, according to the Wall Street Journal, are, remain uh, in charge of Kiev as the talks with uh, the Russians are planned. Uh, the most troubling thing is that Putin has put Russian nuclear forces on high alert, whatever that means, according to the FT. Maybe a bluff. Who knows what it means? He's a difficult man to figure out. Um, the Ukrainians have agreed to talks with Russia, according to the New York Times, whilst the battle rages on multiple fronts. So who knows whether talks will have any impact at all. Uh, the West is responding mostly in terms of sanctions, economic sanctions, which, uh, according to The Economist, might cripple Russia's economy, not that it was particularly strong in the first place. All over Europe, of course, there is a, a passionate response to what is happening in the Ukraine. Uh, the Czech Prime Minister, for example, uh, in a meeting with the EU Commissioner, has um, banned Russian airlines and is apparently mulling more sanctions. Uh, the Czechs and the Netherlands are shipping more military aid to Ukraine. Both, of course, the Czech Republic and Holland are very familiar with the this kind of behavior of large, um, unaccountable powers. Um, and the Czechs have joined the Poles and the Swedes in refusing to play Russia in the 2022 World Cup playoffs. Uh, Prague today had a, a major demonstration, uh, 60,000 people in, in, in the main square in Prague. And I'm thrilled that we're being joined by someone who I interviewed uh, a few years ago for my How to Fix Democracy show. Uh, Thomas Sedlacek has um, a, man a manifesto out today on behalf of the Ukraine. Plea of the economists for you. Many of you will be familiar with uh, Thomas Sedlacek. He had an international hit, Economics of Good and Evil. He's one of uh, the Czech Republic's leading economists. And I'm thrilled that Thomas is joining us from Prague today. Thomas, what, what is the feeling uh, in Central Europe in Prague uh, today? Andrew, thanks for having me. It's really good to see you, although I'm sorry that we are seeing each other at such troubled times. Well, the Venceslas Square was was full. I'm trying to kind of wear yellow and blue in case that isn't obvious. Uh, yeah, you sent before. me these photos earlier. Very encouraging. 60,000 people. The Czechs are, of course, veterans when it comes to this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. We have had this, uh, unfortunately, uh, many times before. And in fact, that's something that I had with me on the demonstration uh, it, yeah uh, get it out uh, reads in asbuga those of you do those of you who are younger than me won't be able to read it uh but it says uh, in russian f uh f -U i hope reaches the 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 uh audience so um 
I, I'm curious in talking to you, uh, uh, Thomas, your economics of good and evil presents economics as a, a quest for making the world a better place. Are you confident that the economics of sanctions can be an effective way of fighting back against this military invasion of Ukraine? Interestingly enough, uh, we can now really use economics as a tool. We know from history, from our own history, that the economy and business and banking can do a lot of mean things. You know, it happened to us in 2008. I mean, we, we all know we wrote, we've written and read tens and hundreds of books about this. Now the point is to do it to, to our enemies, which has Russia unprovokedly chosen to be. We are now in full-fledged war, unfortunately, full-fledged military. I uh, plead uh, to us as advanced um, country and advanced uh, civilization that we fight with the weapons of advanced civilization, not with bullets. Yeah, let me, quote, uh, let me quote the beginning uh, of your yeah. manifesto. We have a moral duty to wage full-scale economic warfare. This is a full-scale attack. We must retaliate, retaliate in full. So we need to use every sanction available, Thomas. Is that your view? We must exhaust every uh, economic weapon. And if they are exhausted, then I'm afraid it will come to, to real weapons. But it is our moral duty to try and do everything to prevent loss of human lives. And if we hurt in economic warfare, then this will not lead to, to loss of lives. It will just lead to very, very large complications with which, and this is, I think, the biggest uh, positive news of today, um, Putin did not count with this, and nor did China. This is obviously a step that he wasn't expecting uh, Europe and America and the West to do because he didn't prepare for it. And that's, that speaks a lot. He underestimated us. Why do you think he did? Do you think he thinks that um, the West is not really willing to stand up for democracy, that ultimately when push comes to shove, they can indeed be shoved around? And in fact, the exact opposite happened. Even the Democrats and Republicans are at unison. Even in Czech Republic, the parliament. I don't even remember that this happened. Well, not entirely. Uh, not not entirely. Uh, you know, uh, ex-President Trump, uh, Thomas. Uh, well, yeah, but he did take it back uh, eventually, I hope. Well, but uh, he's... Uh, the news that I heard. Well, but he's, according to the Times today, still praising Putin. I mean, there yeah, are a lot of people in the West who are ambivalent. Uh, I mean, the, the senators and the representatives are voting in unison. And the same is happening in Europe, same is happening in Czech parliament. And the NATO has never been this uh, this uh, strong and united. I mean, a year ago, it was dead, right? That's what we heard, that NATO is dead. It's not that. It's far from dead. And if somebody gave it new blood, it was... I wasn't really expecting it. And you can see it quite well because he has these foreign reserves, 630 billion american dollars that's 38 percent of russia's economy it's a huge pile of money that he has been sort of saving from uh, from the income that he got abroad just for a case like this now 32 percent of that was still in euros and 16 percent in dollars 22 percent in gold and 13 percent in chinese yen so he did move about around half of it to save china and and gold but he still believed that 32% of his foreign reserves will be saved in euro. So this is clearly something he didn't expect. Thomas, it's more than 50 years since the Prague Spring when the Russian, the Soviets, I guess, Russian Soviets invaded uh, Prague, putting down your Prague Spring. You work closely with 
Vaclav Havel, later the, the president of uh, the Czech Republic. Um, what's changed in the last 50 years? In 68, could the West have responded with such aggressive economic sanctions or is the international system different? If we had support, um, uh, but we have, unfortunately, we have bad experience. This is exactly what happened to us in, in 38 during the Nazi occupation. The West sort of just, you know, tried to negotiate with evil like we've been up till yesterday doing ourselves till, 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 till this very day. Uh, the same happened in, in, in 68. It was, it was this appeasement philosophy. And the same happened in Crimea 2014. The economic sanctions that we then levied were clearly uh, uh, not uh, in any way deterrent of his uh, future actions. So we've seen you know, that, that Putin has been lying to us all along. Suddenly things that didn't make sense make sense. He was really, uh, really doing the same strategy. And I must also, with great shame that we have, uh, as mankind, um, allowed this to happen, Putin has become the Hitler of our time. He is behaving exactly in the same way, thinking that, uh, that the West will not react, but it did react, and much stronger than he expected. Thomas, we've done a number of shows about dirty money around the world. We've had prize-winning economists like Tom Burgess, Catherine uh, Belton, who's actually being sued uh, by Putin in London. Uh, she wrote a book about KGB-style capitalism. Can the sanctioning of Putin's money, can it be the first step in cleaning up dirty money, in cleaning up how uh, illegal money seems to be corrupting yeah. polluting yeah. the global economic system yeah and and we we help them with this and this is a great shame and we have a perfect opportunity to belatedly uh undo that so how do we do it i mean it's more than just simply um is is does it require more than just formal sanctions does it require us thinking about the nature of international finance itself yeah, well, we can, we can, of course, and this is something that we should do, we can put Putin and his oligarchs on, on terrorist list because uh, Russia is behaving like a terrorist state. Uh, the whole war is an act of terror. So uh, if we deal with so them... We should treat the Putin like bin Laden? Yes, yes, and see him crawl up from some pitch uh, two years from now. With a beard, like yours. With a beard, yeah. <laughs> but there's no, also... There's no no hope. I mean... There's... I mean uh, uh, Sorry, there's a it's huge Can you morally, can, can you, are you suggesting that there really is a moral equivalence or an immoral equivalence between Putin and his uh, behavior and bin Laden and ISIS or Al Qaeda? Yeah, it's very similar. The attack wasn't on the United States of America, but it was, it was on Ukraine and for similar reasons, for wanting to be free and to wanting to, you know, represent what we've represented as the West for, for, for a couple of decades now. So uh, the act of terrorism is, I think that's justifiable. We can also, and this is something that I hear luckily being talked about, uh, quickly uh, 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 or, uh, welcome Ukraine to EU and also to NATO. And if not as a member of NATO, one of, I mean, we have been attacked as the West. It happened in Ukraine, you know, in 2001, it happened in, in, in United States. But we as the West have been attacked, NATO or no NATO. This really doesn't matter. It still means that we can defend our friends and um, democracy and freedom 
uh, even though Ukraine is not a member of, of NATO. I, we can see that these sanctions have really worked because um, Putin is, is angry and he is actually threatening with the um, nuclear arsenal. So um, uh, we have I'm really... Not quite sure who, yeah, and, and I'm not quite sure who he's threatening. Who is he going to attack? Czech Republic? We, we, we don't know. Sweden, We've heard not of Russia in the, in the World Cup. Yeah, we're, we're trying to ostracize uh, Russia, all of us. So it's really a good question who he's going to attack. But definitely looks like he is aiming to, to attack a NATO country or use his nuclear arsenal to threat or to perhaps, God forbid, use it maybe in Ukraine. What about the view from um, Budapest? You're in Hungary. We've done a number of shows about the crisis of democracy in, uh, in Hungary. Uh, a few months ago, I had the uh, Central European sociologist Dorit Giva on uh, Viktor Orban's what she calls Ordo Nationalist Hungary. Do you think, I, I, you know, I, I know you're not a Hungary expert, but is the is the is there a similar consensus and outrage in Budapest and Hungary as there is in the Czech Republic? This is interesting because if, if Putin and, and Russia had two sort of friends in European Union, it was our president Miloš Zeman who, and a previous president and Viktor Orban. So those were two kind of his friends that he could perhaps uh, maybe in his thinking rely upon. Our president and Viktor Orban have both joined the Ukrainian side. He has really nobody from uh, these sort of comradeships that they've been trying to forge economically uh, in terms of let's forget about human rights and let's focus on what we call economic diplomacy. So he has lost both Orban and Miloš Zeman. And I'm glad that they did it, albeit at the very last moment but they are now on, on, on the good side of history. I'm guessing that his attempt, fairly overt, unambiguous attempt to rebuild the Soviet Union is particularly chilling in Budapest and, Hungary, uh, Budapest and Prague, given your own histories. Yes, yes, and very much so in Poland as well. They're even more sensitive right. about this. And, and yes, we are a little bit nervous. We were supposed to have a Russian anti-missile uh, base here in Czech Republic uh, in one part and the other part in Poland. That was uh, during George W. Bush's reign. Then, you know, that didn't materialize at the end of the day from the side of America. But uh, if we had that, we would have felt we would, we would feel much more secure now. So we are a little bit nervous, I think. Um, uh, also, Finland uh, can be quite nervous. This is this is a time where um, democracies have actually, uh, as as playful and as uh, ordo nationalistic we've been here, uh, quarrelling with each other. We now know we have one enemy, and even the let's say the small skirmishes that we had in European Union are now gone, and we are united against Russia. So, in this respect, they definitely contributed to European and NATO and Western um, uh, compactness. Thomas, wave your flag again. Let get that flag out. Where is it? It's behind you. Show it. Uh, people just listening will not see yeah. Thomas's red flag. But just Thomas reminds us again what this flag says it and what it's cut off from 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 Ukraine. I think Putin has done enough damage in his own country and he can keep that to himself and not spread it uh, across the free world. That is not interested in this way of thinking. We are talking with Thomas Sedlacek. Many of you will know him as the author of a, a inter major international hit, The Economics of Good and Evil. He was Vaclav Havel's economic advisor for many years. He's a 
a big time name and voice in international uh, economics and as an economist. And he's just written a very aggressive manifesto in in favor of the the warfare, I guess, of sanctions against uh, Putin. Uh, Thomas, we're going to take a a 60 second break and then I want to come back and talk a little bit about the the mechanics of, of sanctions, how they work and what the effect is supposed to be, particularly in Russia itself. So we'll be back in about 60 seconds. Hold tight, everybody. Hi, everyone. Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it. But I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. Uh, If you're into watching this, as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now, back to Keenon. We're back with Thomas Sedlacek, the author of The Economics and Good and Evil, and also the author of a really interesting, provocative new manifesto on what we should do uh, in support of the Ukraine. Um, Thomas, uh, I I noted a a piece in the BBC today about how badly will Russia be hit by the new sanctions. Should the uh, uh, Should we want the sanctions to hit the oligarchs or the ordinary Russian people who will then begin to realize that they need to reform their own political system? What should the sanctions be designed to do? Well, what they might do swiftest, because the problem with sanctions is they're they're quite slow and exactly they hit somebody else that they were targeted to. What these sanctions could trigger is a run on Russian banks. And if that happens, then the effects are immediate. They, the Russian citizens will fear for their ruble savings. They then will want to have them um, in their pockets because their banks have been destabilized. And also the ruble is, uh, everybody's expecting a plunge uh, very quickly due to these um, massive sanctions. And that's going to cause another uh, concern of, of, of Russians to get rid of this ruble and, and buy some other currency that uh, will have will hold its value. So, so that could be the immediate effect. So that's point number one. Point number two is that um, I have this wonderful table 
which I use with my students a lot, in thir- but in nutshell, in 30 years, this whole world has been getting richer. I mean, the, the rich, richer, much faster, but the poorer as well. Everywhere except in Russia. Russia is the only place where actually the, the poorest 50% of population has lost around 30% of their wealth standards in the last 30 years, while the Russian oligarchs, 0.01% of the wealthiest people, have grown their riches by 18,000%. That's more than anywhere else in in the world. Uh, So Russia is the only place in the world where actually poor people have become even poorer than uh, 30 years ago. I suggest we confiscate this money of the oligarchs and give it to normal Russian uh, people. Uh, We shouldn't, I mean, once we confiscate the money, if we do, so far it's frozen, which I think is fine, but we can also confiscate it as another step. Uh, We should actually use that to to, to give it to the people it has actually been taken for, and we do have legitimate macroeconomic statistics to support that move. That would be pretty radical, Thomas. Has that ever been done in history before, that... The international community has confiscated the wealth of a tiny elite and redistributed it to the people? Not to my knowledge. Uh, I think the whole uh, economic warfare that we are experiencing never happened in the world. We have never, as mankind, used economics as a weapon. And, and it's actually, there's another way what we could do. We could destabilize the Russian markets, which have gone down by 32%, while the Western markets went down by one, two, three not anything uh, to worry about but the russian markets have really plummeted and we could continue on that attack and we can use hostile takeovers which we have been doing to each other in a very mean way we can now use the mean side of the economy as a weapon i hate to say that but it's much better than using uh, rifles so we could buy the dip of these russian companies and then you know make them go bankrupt or close them down or or, or whatever it could actually be another hostile takeover this time as a military weapon. So so I absolutely do agree. This is the first time that we are waging uh, an intelligent war. Uh, and we're going to see this also in, in, in crypto attacks, etc. That's an intelligent way of waging war, but not shooting innocent civilians with rockets. Thomas, looking at history, what about the post-Versailles system, the way in which the Western powers in the United States punished Germany after the First World War, creating um, enormous misery yeah, uh, yeah. For, for Germans, which, of course, resulted in the rise of Nazism. Could there be a fear that if Russia is punished so dramatically and the poor Russians become even poorer, Putin will turn this around um, and create even more hysteria uh, and paranoia in Russia? I mean, we had a a show recently with Angela Stent, um, an authority, a Brookings-based, uh, Brookings Institute-based authority on Putin, author of Putin's World, about how uh, Putin created a paranoid and polarized world. This is just more grist for this, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sorry to say, but we have really, in the past 30 years, politically speaking, nothing good came out of Russia, which I wouldn't say uh, in, in the Chinese case, because there at least it's an interesting combination of capitalism and communism. But from Russia, we've really not learned. I mean, it wouldn't be a great pity if, I mean, uh, if Russia would stop interfering in, in, in the global affairs for a couple of years. I mean, this is something that we really, I mean, don't have to be ashamed of. 
I have not, and we have nothing against the Russian people. We love Russian culture. Literature is one of the finest in the world. Their their science and mathematics and Gasparov and other chess players are simply amazing. This is really targeted. I think the ideal end game would be if this would create uh, an army revolt against Putin, if it would create an elite oligarch um, a revolt against Putin, if it create if it would create a run on banks, um, uh, also blaming Putin. And lastly, we have not seen so many Russians in the street in 2014. We have not seen anybody actually uh, 30 years ago when communism was falling down. We had huge uh, demonstrations in Czech Republic. We had huge demonstrations in Hungary and Poland and everywhere, but nothing really in, in Russia. So, so these people are now standing up and the, the squares are full and they're sent tired of Putin. And uh, as I said, I think Putin should go the way of bin Laden. There and are then, people sorry, who are I'm standing up for the Russians. Uh, there's a New York Times piece to say about how the Chinese internet is cheering the Russian invasion. Uh, there was a billion downloads of one a very pro-Russian uh, post. You mentioned the Chinese earlier. Are you fearful of a new, what the Americans might call, axis of evil? Yeah, I think, I think we are seeing uh, China sort of, you know, on the Russian side, not very enthusiastically, but it might end up, it's, it's China's choice uh, if they want to continue walking with the advanced world or if they want to uh, play around with, with, with the not so advanced politically and economically Russia. Uh, that is a, a question that they have to answer. And if, if worse comes to worse and the, and the world beef for, for, beef for, splits into two, this might also happen to, to the internet, then, then be it. And we have unfortunately new, uh, new iron curtain. But just to, to, to go back to the previous question, we've also learned the message not to destroy uh, a nation economically after the Second World War. We've actually, Americans and, 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 and the winning side was, was helping Germany a lot. And that actually resulted in a way in European integration. So we are not an evil uh, uh, West that wants to destroy the Russian people. No, we want to get rid of Putin and then do all we can to help Russia to rebuild itself on good, firm, uh, capitalist and democratic principles. When Havel was asked this question in 1990 um, in the American Senate, what can we do to help Czech Republic? He answered famously, if you want, if you want to help Czech Republic, help Russia. And uh, I, I think all of us are ready to help the Ukrainians, and we're also ready to help Russians once they are free of their dictator. You mentioned the Germans uh, after the Second World War. Uh, this Ukrainian crisis seemed to have triggered, at least according to the FT, a new era in German Defense policy, um, you, of course, in Czech Republic, border onto Germany. You have a complicated, to put it euphemistically, history with Germany. Are you encouraged with this new willingness of Germany to take a degree of leadership? Yes, I am. I must, the Russian? I must say that Germans have been behaving uh, amazingly in, 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 in last affairs and crises that we had, both in the Greek crisis, both in the refugee crisis and in the financial crisis. Germany is an exemplary nation which has learned from its mistakes and is now able to talk about their history uh, without any... Um, uh, uh, any any prejudice uh, or 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 uh, any hesitation. 
So I am actually very happy that Germany breached uh, this this neutrality principle. I hope Switzerland uh, will will follow. I hope this is this is not a time to be in in between uh, the Russian oligarchs and Western democracy, especially when we are at war. So I'm also very proud of of, of Germany and other countries to actually in, in, in induce this swift. Uh, sanction because it will hurt us. We will be hurt. It will, might be a cold winter. I am decreasing uh, my temperature. I'm switching off the, the gas heating for the night, which we didn't do. We'll just have to wear um, warmer clothing at home. And this will hurt us. Uh, but we have, to, we have to endure this. We cannot uh, you know, be supplying our enemy uh, with, with, with money. So I'm very happy that Germany, especially, that is very heavily dependent on, on Russian gas and was building uh, Nord Stream 2, is now uh, perhaps, uh, rever- I mean, for, for 100% uh, re- rewriting this thinking. Very briefly, uh, you mentioned swift, swift response. I'm not sure if you meant that uh, literally, because, of course, there's been a lot of talk of um, boycotting, taking the sanctioning Russia by eliminating Russian banks from the SWIFT international system. You also talked about um, uh, fuel. Um, and you talk about in the book, uh, Russians are searching for cash. What, there's talk of uh, chip sanctions. Um, there's talk of, 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 of uh, Russian planes facing a near total airspace ban. What is your feeling in the next few days, Thomas, about concrete things that need to be done? Should they be taken out of SWIFT? Yes, they should be taken out of SWIFT, even though it's going to hurt us as well. It's like uh, this um, uh, stock markets, what they did. We, we got hurt by 2%. Russian stock markets got hurt by 35%. We will be hurt. Uh, but this is the warfare that we should that we should wage. We should turn the, the economy into into our weapon as a, a civilized nation at war. Well, as you say, this is Thomas's plea of the economists for you for Ukraine. We've been attacked. The West has a moral obligation to use the full force of our economic weapons. Speaking from uh, Prague, I think Thomas has some credibility when it comes to talking about moral obligation. Uh, Thomas, uh, finally, I'm asking all my guests this. Um, who runs the world? Who's in charge? Thomas Sedlacek, the author of The Economics of Good and Evil. I think human creativity. 